Did, did you get in? Did you guys get in last? Don't please don't tell me you just drove in from Canada. No. Okay, good. Good. Yeah, I'm. You want to be kind to the senior citizens. I was going to say elderly, but I, I spend all day with a war with my wife. She's trying to straighten me out. She knew a long time ago what most of you didn't know, that she couldn't do the impossible. <laughs> uh, Yeah, we're, we're starting to look like an uh, international group with Ireland here and Canada and let's see, Abel is, did he, is Abel here yet? Where? Yeah, how much, haven't you spent most of your time in, in Mexico? Most of your life? Okay. Well, you're at Whitestone now. Okay, and you've been tattooed, and and if you get if you get far if you get far, we ha we'll send people after you. Okay, um, if I can see this, well, we we by now all of us should have an idea that um, that. I used to think this way when Betty and I were married. I thought, oh my goodness, doesn't God know uh, when he puts, when he gives me this kind of a, a, a blessing, uh, how, uh, I'm, doesn't he, does he really, how much activity does he have in, in these things? And, uh, you know, looking at what's going on, it's unbelievable what's happened in your country. Is that not right? Yeah. We spent a lot of time talking about that. But every one of us have, uh, have been launched. I keep saying it so you get it and so I can get it, because it, we, we've been really ground-bound, and, and we've also been infused with the... With, uh, a capacity to, to move into things that we never knew about. And some of you, uh, you know, can get so habituated that you, you know, just uh, take that for granted and his goodness, we can take it that way. But our purpose is so costly, you know, that sometimes we don't want to talk about it and that's all we should be thinking and talking about is, what do you have for me today? You know, would you say? And we don't. I mean, there's, we've got a thousand detours. Uh, and, um, but with that purpose, the ultimate goal is peace. Shalom. And uh, it, it's hard to get your head around because we're being processed and there's not a lot of, of peace, finality, security on the way. You know, I don't know. I, we had uh, not long ago, somebody drove in from Canada 
and I and I don't know how, and I think there was somebody with him, but I thought, you know, <laughs> would you ever let a woman drive all the way from Whitehorse to here by herself? And <laughs> I thought, let's not be thinking that way. I don't get peace. And the roads are so ugly sometimes, and I was thankful that uh, Josiah stopped uh, Joy, or did Joy stop Joy from driving? Because I don't care where you go, I don't care who you are, you know, our trucks go over the road, there's circumstances, and God himself <coughs> brings stuff to us that it's way over our head. I just got, I was two hours on the phone, one hour today and one yesterday, just to quiet people to, to, to minor things, the, the agitation and the division that's there. And uh, Isaiah said it this way. And because he was talking to a, a disruptive group. <laughs> when, every, when anybody is together, in, for God's sake, and are serious, there's, there's circumstances to help us grow, difficulties, judgment, fire, and, you know, we're looking for a smooth road. I don't drive anymore unless it's a long highway in the desert with no traffic because I know <laughs> it's, not, it's not safe for me. You know, uh, and here's what, here's what he said, and I, I, I was fumbling around the other night during that, you know, it's awful to, to be... Uh, try to communicate something and you got indifference and I, I felt one of the things we really need to pray for is the mothers with children who very rarely get a chance and I, I love the fact that some of our younger girls uh, take the babies in arms and and have a touch with them but some of the mothers and they told me this a long time ago and I'm sure I haven't appreciated it like I should. But it, a couple of them said, I never really get a chance during the word to, to be settled. You know. But here's what Isaiah said to an unsettled mixture of, of believers, different levels of growth that is in every group. We have people living that's lived with us that ah Whitestone, they're they're not really a Christian group. There's not a lot enough love there, and and they weren't inaccurate, you know, because there's needs here. I've never been in any church that didn't have great needs and differences. Okay, listen to it until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. Now, every one of you here have an anointing from God. Everyone that has had any tra transaction with God. Everyone does. And what you have 
is the spirit who made everything that is working with you and me very specifically. I know that. And some of you don't believe it. Ah, oh, you didn't talk to me. I don't know. All right. But until the spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest, then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. And you can pray and look at that. But here, here's what he said that, that you can immediately apprehend. And the work of righteousness shall be shalom. Perfect peace, perfect health, perfect quietude. This is what God is going to have with you. Uh, I, it, 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 pardon me? Uh, hunt it down. Uh, no, <laughs> no I, I've got that. I'll give it to you. I promise, Richard. Richard tells, uh, he's got an extraordinarily gift. You'll never suspect it. And I'll have him share it took some time when he finishes his book. He's writing, he's, he's going to write a little pamphlet at first, but it'll be a book. <laughs> and, and it's, if, if anything ever happened to Richard, uh, we would at least have his book, okay? But, and the work of righteousness shall be shalom, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Now, is that what we're looking for? Well, we don't know. We, we don't know what we need. That's what I've told Agnes. That's the way I want her heart. I said, you're a beautiful lady. You don't know what you need. You need me. Uh, and sometimes you have to prophesy and lie a little. Uh, but by now, she's got a pretty good grip on uh, you know, my need. And so do you. But folks, you have the help of the anointing of God. If you step out of that, you miss shalom. And I, I've been a little light about that before. Here it is again. The work of righteousness, which God gave you, shall be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. And my people, are you his people? Take it personally. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. You know, you come in here many times and you say, oh, my God, what a noisy, you know. David said it, I've said it. The, the very help that God gives us sometimes we don't like. The very operation that God has to do on us, we don't like. I, I, did, I didn't like to get cut on. But God saved my life by, by 
he had to show me. I, I was stupid and ran around a long time before I wanted any operation. Leave me alone. <coughs> and folks, the, the, the dear ones, many right in this room, who've, who've overcome death and put cancer under their feet, they're veterans of experiences and they have an in a growing root of shalom in the middle of chaos and have the confidence and the trust to look around at some of those veterans here and, and God help us we're here for important things and uh, and my people shall dwell in a, <laughs> a shalom house and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. And I put my face on the news for a little bit and my God, the, the blasted rooms and somebody over there and I thought I, I, they, they put a a hundred little strollers. strollers out uh, to show how many babies had been killed in that in a particular location. They put them out there, and uh, you know the devils don't care. They hate you. They hate the Christ in you, even the childlike, limited Christ in you, and and. Anytime you want to go forward, they're there to, to muffle and muzzle and everything. You are far more dangerous and treacherous than you can possibly know. And your prayer brings life to multitudes. So please don't underestimate the firepower that God gave you. It's not yours inherently. You weren't born with it, but you were born anew. And when you were, you were a peacemaker, <laughs> like it or not. All right. Uh, uh, what do you want to do? You want to go out there? You want to stay where you are? Can, is it possible you could sit and have a few short ones and we could give Samuel freedom? I'm looking forward to Samuel. Anybody? You pray for the word. What are you looking for? All right, let's gather.
Okay. Oh, yeah. Yep. When it's Saturday, you use the Saturday microphone. This is the good one. It's got the anointing on it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. Can stride through the crowd. Brandish my Bible. All those things. Well, I can't tell any stories at my parents' expense, so really kind of threw a wrench in the gears of my word this morning. <laughs> your, your mother will have equal time. Yep, exactly. <laughs> they will insist on defending themselves. <clears throat> so when I was young, I will will tell a story about when I was young. Uh, when I was young, and maybe still to this day, my parents had in their modest library this book, uh, The Pilgrim Church. Probably some people have read it or at least glanced through it. It's, it's a very, I wouldn't say it's light reading necessarily, but it's a very interesting book. It sort of tells the story down through the ages. There are you could almost say are sort of two separate histories of the church, in a sense, because externally you can very easily see the people who consolidated a tremendous amount of political power or institutional power and sort of crafted the institution of, you know, the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church or so forth, you know, into these behemoths of, you know, spiritual and intellectual and political doings and but at the same time, there is also a group of people, and there seems to have always been, if you looked carefully, people who had a, an unusual and a very genuine commitment to what the Lord was doing, and they weren't always you know, particularly potent uh, socially or politically. They weren't always very well connected. It, actually, very many times they were persecuted either by you know, the governments of the time or even the institutional church which perceived them as a threat. But there's a sense in which the Lord has reserved unto himself at all times people for his purposes. I like the story when Elijah's in the wilderness and he's saying, God, I've done this, I've done that, and I'm you know, the only one left. And God says, hang on, I have reserved unto myself several thousand and, and kept them and protected them and even hidden them, <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> you know. And, you know, I, I'm grateful in a sense that we've, you know, been able to remain undercover in a sense to the extent that we have. <laughs> you know, I'm glad that we haven't been fully displayed necessarily. <laughs> I think that's something that we can be very grateful for. But I was reading about some of the early church fathers. There was two men that the Pilgrim Church was, was writing about. They were sort of contemporaries of one another, but they lived in different places. So one of them was Cyprian, and he was the bishop of Carthage. And he didn't coin the term the Catholic or universal church, but he was one of the early adopters to the theory that you couldn't have a legitimate salvation experience outside of the particular denomination that he was involved with. So, of course, he was very savvy politically, and he consolidated a fairly tremendous amount of power and, in some senses, was 
responsible for crafting the Catholic Church in the way that it eventually became. And at the same time, there was a man named Origen, who's in Alexandria, and he grew up, his father was a, an excellent teacher, and his father actually was martyred when Origen was in his teens, I think. And Origen was, for most of his life, was never, he was a layperson, he was never formally given particular authority within the church, but he had a, an exceptional gift for teaching. And he was eventually, he fell afoul of the, the government at the time, and he was tortured and eventually died. But, and actually, he, he would have probably been martyred much earlier, but one time when he went to try to go see his father in prison, his mother apparently hid all of his clothing, so he couldn't go. <laughs> Which is the opposite, I guess, of when Jesus talks about, when I was naked, you clothed me. So I don't know how that will shake out, but it probably kept him alive for a few more years. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it, you know, I've been thinking about how God apparently has been pleased to establish his work in contexts that are not particularly friendly. They're adversarial, it would seem, to the work of God. And yet his intention is to bring forth life there anyways. And I was thinking, you know, the, maybe the most important work that God is doing is actually hidden um, because it's a work that's on the inside of people. And so there's a, a sense in which I'm very happy that God has not fully exposed <laughs> everything that's being worked on here because I very much get a sense that he's not quite finished yet. Um, <laughs> if you want to, you could turn to 2 Corinthians 5. But I wanted to mention to sort of give context. I'm still, I think I may have even said this earlier, but I'm totally captivated by the story that Brother Abel told about the man who had the, the one certifiable miracle that he could remember seeing. Um, just, I mean, it boggles the mind, and yet I totally understand that, you know, that this man uh, had a, an absolutely, clearly supernatural work performed, miraculously healing his leg, I think. And, you know, you would think the story would go that he would at least, you know, dabble in the things of God, perhaps, afterwards. And absolutely no interest whatsoever. Um, <laughs> you know, I just love it. It's such a perfect illustration of our, uh, the, our unbelievable abilities to just completely <laughs> plunge ahead with what we're doing and not even be sidetracked, <laughs> despite the most uh, unbelievable work of God that could be externally leveraged upon us. If it doesn't get to the inside, it really doesn't matter what magnitude, you know, <laughs> of a work that happens. You know, I don't know how many times have we thought, you know, if only we could, you know, see more healings or if we could, you know, have a, a word of God even or a vision or a confirmation to what we're doing, that would sort of settle things. Um, and you know what? It didn't work for Adam. In Genesis, it says the voice of God walked with Adam in the cool of the day, you know. And that's a pretty high level of interaction, in a sense, you know. Uh, but it wasn't, and to some extent, that was a setup. I mean, Adam wasn't <clears throat> ever intended to, you know, per particularly be a demonstration of the, the totality of what God was doing. But it's a, it's a good illustration, though, that you can have an immediate contact with what the Lord is doing. Uh, you can have a contact even with the Lord's voice. And if, if it doesn't get to the inside of you, and work on the inward man, there's just a limitation to it. You know, you just go back to doing what you were doing before, you know. <laughs> like the man who got healed, you know. 
Perfect. Some of the barriers to my iniquities have been erased. I'm going to go my own way even faster. <laughs> it's unbelievable, and yet it's very understandable. So in 2 Corinthians, there's a good summary of some of the things that the Lord is doing. I'll just read a little bit of it. I'll start in verse 14, perhaps. And maybe I'll skip around. It says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And I think that's a good statement. If there was a statement of the equality that, that touches all of us, it is that we have all been dead and disconnected from the life of the Spirit of what's happening in God. And it goes on, it says that, that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And here's the part I wanted to get to. It says, wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, and the most important thing, the kicker, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet henceforth we know him no more. And isn't that a thing, you know, that you can even be approaching and participating with the work of the Lord, but knowing him after the flesh. And, you know, there's a sense in which many of the problems, perhaps, that we experience, though we are all, you know, blood-bought Christians, following as best we can after a relationship with the Lord, to the extent that, you know, you and I have issues and, and problems and we, you know, we have difficulties in our gatherings and difficulties in our relating and difficulties living together and working together, there's a sense that, that it is proportionate to the, the way in which I have, even though I am following after Christ, I have known Christ after the flesh and that propagates into every area of life that I involve myself in. And the work of the Lord is that we would be in Christ a new creature. And it's a different thing, you know, <laughs> because it's a profound problem that we can be close to the work of Christ and we can, uh, it can be near us and there can be even miraculous events and a, a sustaining of what we're doing here with all of our programs and all of our schools and businesses and the things that we do. But if we never get through the ceiling of knowing Christ after the flesh, we'll still have a lot of problems. And I had an experience, mystical experience. Um, I was looking over my notes. I have on my phone all the notes I've taken, I guess, since I've had an iPhone, which has been a few years. And what's more, all of the words that I have given, which is even more, a lot of words anyways. And I was <clears throat> working, you know, thinking about what I was going to share. And I was thinking about just... I was scrolling through, and like you can scroll and scroll and scroll, and there's so many words and so many things that I've assented to and highlighted and said amen to, and you know, even more to the point that I've gotten up here sometimes and said to you guys. <clears throat> and I was just thinking about the volume of the verbiage that has been broadcasted and recorded and written down, and notes have been taken, and just the there's this huge breach between the things that I have said and the things that I've actually walked in, and it was just like this weighty, you know, 
thought, <clears throat> and I had this temptation to like frisbee my notebook into the trash can, but it was my wife's notebook, and so I didn't. Um, it would have been an ill-chosen dramatic gesture, I think. Uh, but you have to be careful, I think, evaluating the fruit of what God is doing, is I guess the point. Uh, you know, because the works of the flesh are manifest, you know. So I, you have no need that I educate and elucidate. Um, there's not a need for a gift of faith or a gift of discernment in order that we might understand the works of the flesh. Um, you have no need that I speak unto you about the weight of offenses and difficulties and hardships and arguments and opinions and all of those things. You know, the reason why we get together is we're, you know, and gather in part is that we're encouraging each other about a work of God that doesn't have definition and clarity in the way that the works of the flesh have. And if you evaluate <clears throat> wrongly at the wrong time, you will misevaluate the truth of what God is getting at and what God is doing. When I lived up at the Upper River House, <clears throat> um, I can remember one time asking Kevin what he was doing. He was out in the greenhouse one night, and he said that he was opening the windows so the tomato plants would get cold. And I thought that was funny because we had gone through some considerable trouble and expense making sure the tomatoes were hot. And Kevin said, no, at certain times of the year, I open up the windows so the tomato plants get cold so that their stems become strong so that they can bear the weight of the fruit of the tomato that will be to come. So Kevin is the great farmer, um, you know, but Kevin knows what he's doing and uh, he is the, uh, the knowledgeable authoritative source on uh, all matters regarding tomatoes and, uh, and Kevin knows what he needs to do at the proper time of the year and I'm happy to leave him to it and we'll see some nice red tomatoes hopefully at some point this summer. You know, but there's a verse that says, it's kind of a funny verse, we don't have to look there, I'll just try to paraphrase it, but it's talking about all the like, different kinds of grains, you know, and it, and it says, like, the smart farmer doesn't bruise this one with his wheel, he just winnows it with his fan, and he, he won't always beat this one, you know, he just gets the chaff out, and, you know, and it, it kind of goes down, and, and the, the, the idea is, like, don't you think God knows what he's doing, you know, with what he's bringing forth, and you can't really grow up any faster than you can be carried by the Spirit, in a sense. And you have to, you know, in a sense, there's a, I like the verse, it says the heir differs nothing from a servant while he's a child, even though he's Lord of all, you know. There's a few, a few good, good verses, you know, and it, it was a good picture, even Jesus, who was, you know, born by the supernatural overshadowing of the Spirit. And as far as we know, he, he never missed the mark. He walked perfectly connected to the Spirit his whole life. But it still says about him, he had to learn obedience by the things he suffered. So, you know, <laughs> what do you think that would happen perhaps to us? <laughs> How am I going to learn obedience? <laughs> uh, maybe I've been too easily offended sometimes you know, too easily put off the mark of what, what God is doing. I may have mentioned this before, but there was a, a preacher, I like, the, like what he said. His name was J.C. Ryle, and he said that in his experience, 
the sanctified were some of the happiest people because they had a rich and a durable happiness that the world couldn't take away. I thought, you know, it's a good point. You know, the people who, are, who have connectivity and, and a bonding to what the Lord is actually doing, um, you know, there's a, a satisfaction and a contentment in that that's not, not as dependent on the environment as I have historically been, if that makes sense, you know. And you can see with Jesus, you know, he had a sense of equanimity <laughs> and robustness to the outside, to the, what was going on. He wasn't, you know, sensitive to what was going on around him. You know, there could be a storm, not a big deal. I know what's going on. I know, you know, what my capabilities and, and what my purpose is here. Uh, sometimes the people were singing Hosanna and waving and, you know, welcoming him. And sometimes, you know, a week later or whatever, they were crucifying him. You know, and, and Jesus was doing what he was called to do, and it didn't matter, you know, so much. And I think that's a good, you know, a good picture. In uh, Matthew 13, <clears throat> if you want to turn there, you, you can. It's the parable of the sower. Maybe I'll just skip around a little bit. But in verse 3 of Matthew 13, it says, He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, I guess I'll wait till the Bible flipping stops. We're not in that big of a rush. So he went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up, and some fell on stony places where they had not much earth. Forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun was up, they were scorched. Because they had no root, they withered away. And then later, he discusses, you know, the interpretation of the parable in uh, verse 20. It says, He that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. And yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. And that is a pretty accurate picture, perhaps, <laughs> of some of the experiences that we've had because I think that the Lord is, is working to establish a root of connectivity to the actuality of what he's doing that isn't so sensitive to what's happening outside. And, you know, it's pretty clear... He doesn't say, like, tribulation and persecution happens to arise. He says, like, it is because of the word. Like, if you happen to get on the train of what the Lord is doing, <laughs> you will be offended <laughs> because what the work of God is doing is offensive to my nature. And so it's not like an accidental or an incidental thing. If you become enjoined to what the Lord is doing, you will encounter offense. And the question is, you know, are you going to be part of the work to grow roots in you so that you can survive, you know, the offense? Um, you know, it says, the, what is it, the righteous man is like a tree planted by the rivers of water and he doesn't see when the heat comes. You know, isn't that a good and encouraging thing to think of? You know, if, if you can continue to participate in what the Lord is genuinely doing and if, he, and if he's growing roots in you and if he reserves you unto himself, you know, there's a sense of where you don't even really see it as being a particularly significant thing 
when there are all of these tribulations and offenses and so forth. And it's not because you don't feel them, it's because there's something that, uh, that is more imminent and more significant to you. You know, how does Paul get to the point where he tells you his laundry list of all the things he's done? He's been beaten and had shipwrecks and perils of robbers and perils of false brethren and perils of countrymen and all of these things. Thrice, you know, he's been beaten and so forth. But, and he, he says it's, you know, but that's not really a big deal in comparison to what the Lord, you know, the, uh, the weight of glory of what the Lord is bringing forth. Well, you know, it's because he was a person who had gotten some roots and he was really genuinely connected to what the Lord was doing. Um, in Isaiah 6, there's a scripture. Obviously, there's a scripture, sorry. You'll never guess what's in Isaiah 6. <laughs> it's a Bible verse. Uh, well, for one thing, this is just an aside, um, but I was reading, there's these some ministry currently operating in the church who are really big into finding your angel, I guess. That every person sort of has an angel. Um, Isaiah had an angel, um, but it wasn't as exciting as you might be led to believe because in verse 5, when the angel shows up, he like falls flat and says, woe is me, I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, you might see an angel, but I don't, wouldn't necessarily say it'll be like the most fun experience of your life. Um, but anyway, that was just a freebie. In verse 13, getting back more to the point, it says, but yet, well, I should, we should read verse 12. So the Lord, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there's a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But in verse 13, it says, but yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. And it says, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. And I think the, you know, the work of God is to put a holy seed in us, you know, and it doesn't matter so much, you know, if there's desolation and, you know, the leaves are gone and so forth. You know, it's not that there's, there's good times, there's bad times, but there's a sense in which the work of God, the holy seed of God is not sensitive to all of those things because there's a substance within it. Mm -hmm. And if there was anything, you know, that, that I've been burdened for, for myself and for us, is like, Lord, could you, you know, could you put some roots in us? Could you put some substance in us? You know, there's all manner of things happening, you know. There's all manner of programs. There's all manner of questions. There's information and opinions and all of these things, you know. But if there's a substance of what the Lord is doing inside us, I have a sense that we'll be taken care of. So, amen. Better not take the mic with me. Uh, just, just briefly, uh, thank you, Sam. I, I was reading the scripture. I thought it was important. Uh, just as confirmation in Micah 4. never do this 
can't stand electronic Bibles, but they have a mind of their own. All of a sudden, they're gone. It says, uh, Sam's talking about environmental issues. And uh, I, I was reading this early this morning. It says, be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. No, I think that's part of the program for all of us. It was for Jesus, right? Hello. Did we dismiss already? I'm sorry. Um, it's Micah 4. Um, it says, through strong cryings and tears, Jesus walked through this life. Okay? So this, this isn't a foreign concept. For now, and listen to this though, for now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt even go to Babylon. There you shall be delivered, and there the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. And I, and I was just so struck with that uh, today, because I was thinking about being planted, and I was thinking about roots and all that this morning early, and so I was gratified that Sam was talking about that. But I just thought, how much... How dangerous it is to live earthbound on the basis of natural analysis for all, all of us. And that is obviously the default setting up, apart from the Spirit of God's influence over us and the anointing that Bill mentioned this, when we started. That God brings us into places that are so antithetical to the expectation that we would have as humans to bring forth uh, deliverance and redemption. He says, here you are now to bring forth, I am bringing you now uh, into a place in the middle of your enemies. And that's where your deliverance and that's where your redemption occurs. And I think that's where every single one of us, we get in trouble because we are bound to the earth and we make analysis with what's going on in our life and we lose the, what did he, um, that durable joy, is that what he said? It was something like that. We lose the durable joy because we misevaluate what's going on when God's intention is redemption and, um, and deliverance yeah. in our lives. But the environment fools us. Mm -hmm. God help us to get up off the earth and be aware of the work of God that he's doing and yeah. where he's doing it. Yeah. Um. One of the things that um, we're all fascinated by, and we're going to have to have a, I want to tell you a frightening, I'm going to read a frightening scripture, because one of the largest uh, outpouring and gatherings of our brothers and sisters is this uh, Johnson crowd, um, and some of you know about it. And, and there are some, there are sons, there are brethren, okay? Please hear this. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm critical because uh, the Holy Spirit is waking us all up in a way. And nobody uh, should allow um, themselves 
to depart very far from what the Holy Spirit is doing because I'll, I'll say this again and and it's kind of rampant there's a rampant unbelief and lowering the position that you have as a son and I'll let somebody else do it ah not me and I, I remember and I said this not long ago I was sitting with David Kokus dumber than dumb I was older than he was I didn't, you know, I'd come out of a Presbyterian school. I was barely uh, holding a born-again experience. And he said, Bill, Bill, the anointing, the anointing. Get up, lay hands. The people, there's, there's an anointing there. And I sat there, you know, really double-dog stupid, um, which I've had uh, interventions of that in my life more than I want to admit. But when I did stand, it, it, it was outside of me. It did not come from me, okay? And, and we're gonna have to come to terms with, I can't do this, I didn't do it. Because God, the, the issue of power is gonna come out of sanctification and our holiness. That's where it's going to come from. Holiness. But uh, I like those guys. And, uh, and, and here, here's what would be scary. You go into town or you want to visit uh, another church and you do or you go anywhere. Uh, or here. And I'll, I'll read this and it says, He that doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men now let me let me ask everyone who is listening if you saw fire coming down and an individual said i'm gonna uh, uh, draw fire down here uh and you saw fire coming down after he said fire is coming down and you say, did he say fire was coming down? Yes, that's what he said. Are you sure? Well, and listen to it. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth. Okay? And, and one of my favorite people who, who visits, and she's, uh, was she at the service last night, Natalie? Yes. Natalie called us, and I told you about this already. What? She looked great. Did she? Yeah. Well, she may have had a miracle, but I said, check it out. Let's not get in a hurry. Okay? Is that okay? I think it is, because I know, I mean, Buddy said to me once, and I knew about this, he said, you know what you're going to see? You know what you're going to find? You could see somebody who brought false wonders, fire from heaven. Where would you be if you saw that? Well, my, my response was, hey, I'd be impressed, right? Would you be impressed? Would you be deceived? We don't know. That's the issue. And, and we're all entranced with miracles, are we not? Mm-hmm.
No, I guess you're not. Okay, well, you, you don't need it then, but I, those of you who do need this, the issue is, <laughs> as we get deeper in, the full test, that doesn't mean you're going to go to hell because you follow a false power, but it does mean that you'll be substantially stopped before you get to where God wants you to go. And we have a pretty well, you know, too much of a, of a, a careless view. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Whatever that is. And, and to some degree, that's an enigma. But um, it's, it's been a good morning. Thank you, Sam. Um, and I, it, did you consider this, Sam, when your folks walked in? Uh, that, that God wanted you here this morning? What? It crossed my mind. Okay, good. All right.